You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 546, Who are you? I am Georgina. The exodus of big names at the BBC, the CD revival and remembering Gary Brooker. That's all coming up after Julian Cope and the greatness and perfection of love. One of so many Julian Cope solo singles that lingered just outside the UK top 40. This one from 1984 made it to number 52, Julian Cope and the greatness and perfection of love. Well, one could say if he keeps on going, hopefully one day he'll get his reward as far as chart positions are oh, concerned. Sorry. Um, that was that was. Yeah, I enjoyed that, actually. Mm. The, the strange, the strange shaman that is Julian Cope. Yes. A friend of mine saw him at Latitude. 
I think this would have been about 2007, 2008. And he put in at that time, typically slightly off the wall performance. Um, he wasn't very good. Um, the crowd became, to use the expression, restless. And um, the whole thing ended up with him adopting a Jesus pose in the middle of the crowd whilst people threw cans at him. So, so I'm not sure if it's worth going to see Julian Cope nowadays, but I did enjoy that. <laughs> Welcome to the Parish Council. It's episode 546. I'm Terence Stackham. Now, let's just work this out. J-U-L-I-E-T. Yeah, one, one letter too many for Wordle. But <laughs> always welcome here. It's Juliet Harris. Too kind. I will end up on Swerdle one day, I think. There, there are various. I'm enjoying all the different mutant mm. variants of Wordle. There's also Loodle, which is quite good. Although I've learned that there are many words that are lewd that I don't know or don't consider to be lewd. But anyway, hi, everyone. A couple of weeks ago, we took a look at Rooney, a documentary mm. on Amazon Prime based around the life of the former England football star, Wayne Rooney. Mm. Well, Netflix were not going to be left behind, but instead of signing up one of the top footballers in the world, they produced a documentary series, I Am Georgina, a behind-the-scenes look at the life of Cristiano Ronaldo's, uh, Ronaldo's partner, Georgina Rodriguez. Um, Georgina is described by Netflix, uh, Netflix as a mom influencer and a businesswoman so this week as we watched season one episode one of i am georgina we were propelled into a world of private jets limousines and luxury yachts obviously a, wor a world that juliet knows well so um <laughs> jules georgina says in this episode that the day she met cristiano is the day that changed my life and thanks to love my life is now a dream um <laughs> Do you do you envy this lifestyle where you hop over to Paris to, to try on a few dresses? Well, I mean, we when we watched the Wayne Rooney thing a couple of weeks ago, we had some criticisms of that. What I would say, in fairness to it, is that I Am Georgina makes the Wayne Rooney film look like Citizen Kane. I must admit, <laughs> I'm really not a fan of this. Um, I tried to go into it with an open mind. I thought, well, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll you know, I'm moaning about having to watch this. I, you know, maybe it will, maybe it will be better than I think it is. <sighs> so, like, <laughs> so, really, I mean, it's. The thing about it is, is that when it was so lacquered and so on the surface that it instantly, I'm not, I'm no journalist, Terence, but it instantly made me think, I wonder if there's a real story here that's being skirted around. So I had a sort of a dig into it mm. and we see her and the children and, 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 you know, their children. And we know that, that Ronaldo has a, has a, a child that is older from a previous relationship and, and all that sort of thing. But he had children via surrogacy mm -hmm. in 2017 and several months after that announced that him and, and Georgina were having uh, having children having a baby and and yet they were already together I, I, I can't quite work I out know, yes, a bit and, bewildering and yes. it is and and you know obviously that's completely I'm not criticizing his personal choices those are his mm. personal choices but None of that was examined in this. Also, she was described as a businesswoman. What does she do? It was no clearer from this episode, apart from got on a plane to go and buy a new dress, which was the, the key. Half of it was about how she met Ronaldo. And the, it, it, the whole thing reminded me 
it was trying to make a story out of a non-story. I know we complained about wait, the Wayne Rooney film that maybe there wasn't that much a story, but at least things happened and we were told about them, even if it was in a slightly airbrushed official story type way. The whole thing, you know, whole conversations that weren't that interesting were recounted. And I just felt a little bit like... Um, like there's an episode of The Simpsons which um, re- where they where Bart falls down a well and they make a charity record to to sort of you know to to except it's not Bart they think it's a charity record with somebody else and they do a sort of a making of sort of featurette and in full Sting says uh, Krusty says I called my friend my good friend Sting he said Krusty when do you need me I said Thursday he said I'm busy Thursday I said what about Friday he said Friday's worse than Thursday then he said what about saturday i said fine true story well this this whole thing was not dissimilar to that to me really it was it was just so you know i'm really happy that they've met each other and appear to be happy and have nice children in a nice house and she can buy a nice dress and that but i didn't i just found it mindless really i mean i, I there was nothing the thing was a little bit self-satisfied her you know wanting to share her life with her friends I don't know it was it was all a bit smug and I just I just found it I didn't find there to be any sort of insight any sort of grit to it really it was maybe this isn't aimed at me maybe this is aimed at the sort of people who are influenced by influencers maybe that's who this is for as someone that that isn't particularly influenced I think the other problem with this as well and I I totally get that you know it was done in 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 Spanish because that's their native language and I completely understand that but um, either Spanish or Portuguese to be honest I'm not sure which but anyway the the translations it had voice over English voiceover the translation actors were awful they mm. were so stilted and maybe that's partly what made it so so rubbish as well because it was just it was done completely deadpan and I just I, I just really struggled with it and I and mortifyingly it wasn't even clear when the first episode finished so not only was it 40 lo- minutes of my life that I won't get back it was 46 minutes of my life that I won't get back because I accidentally watched six <laughs> minutes of the next one drumming my fingers like the cookie monster waiting for it to end and it turns out it had ended and in a cruel twist of fate it was so unclear that it had ended that I had to watch more of the next one I won't be returning to this funny um, that, that you said um, the first note that I made was that I, I, I had to get over that awful flat English audio translation. Wasn't it? It was just terrible. Um, I had no expectations like you for this documentary. I'm not sure, again, like you, I'd sit through a get back style binge of it. But <laughs> um, inevitably, the most captivating and interesting moments were those featuring Cristiano Ronaldo, yes. who I, I thought came across as a, a, a nice sort of bloke. He seemed like a nice bloke, didn't he? Yeah. Georgina seemed nice too, uh, at least on the showing. I was delighted to learn that Cristiano Ronaldo named his first child Cristiano Ronaldo. It was just sort of like George <laughs> Foreman syndrome, isn't I did, it? I did worry a little bit about people that name children after yes. themselves, I must admit. Either they're completely vain or they have a lack of imagination or probably a bit of both, I sense. What a world we peeped into here, <laughs> flying to Paris for the day just to try on dresses. An interior decorator 
popping round where it seemed to be decided to discard half of the furnishings in that in, that were in the house already. And so, I mean, they said, oh, we need to find somewhere to sell this. I love the <laughs> idea of their furniture appearing on eBay, eBay but that didn't yes. an option on the table, did it? Endless photos on the steps of uh, private jets. It's a world in which I've no desire to live, I <laughs> must say. <laughs> Always noticeable in such behind the scenes of the super rich. Um, Despite having, you know, enough money to do whatever you want, you never seem to have any time to yourself. Mm. Georgina had Eleanor, her friend, Ramon, the agent, Alba, the stylist, and what looked like a a couple of hefty security people. Yes. Always there. Mm. Um, Because their their very livelihoods rely on Georgina. um, I found it an... I found it an interesting insight into uh, the, the the lives of people with with t- so much money they don't know what to do with it. That, but, that's that's the key, isn't it? Really, I think yeah. It on the head, it's there. like where where can we burn some more money today? Oh, let's yes. just let's just get on a private jet, go to uh, some um, fashion designers atelier in Paris, try on a few dresses, and then come all the way back again. Um, you, you know, for a rather pointless exercise. It seemed to me that that and all the uh, snacks on the plane and yes. all that it, it also seemed you know how can we just use up some money but um, it, was, it was it was the marking out of time wasn't it yes, is it yes. the using of money really and and uh, you're right I think I suppose it is an interesting insight I don't know maybe I'm just grumpy like everybody this week because you know the terrible events that are mm. going on in Europe and I, it, I just thought you know why why is this happening you know why why are we sitting through this I thought what was quite telling as well was Ramon the agent and that that world is so superficial to me. Mm. And and, you know, the idea, like you say, your good point that people's livelihoods depend on on, yes. on Georgina. You're sort of a professional hanger on. That's yes. not to, to mm. Elena, but but that's sort of what seemed to be happening. And Ramon, I think it was Ramon, the agent, was, you know, very attempting to be very gushing about Georgina. But it seemed to be an incredibly low bar for being a, a good person because he said, oh, she's great. You know, she always asks about me and how I'm getting on and how my nephews are. And it's like that is that yes. is not someone being a wonderful person. And you think, God, if that is if that is your bar as an agent for, you know, oh, someone being a good client because they remember to ask about your family. There must be some really horrible behaviour that goes on in the in the, yes. in the showbiz world, and and that depressed me slightly. That you know, I was depressed for Ramon, frankly, and I, I know has no, you know, I have no reason to be depressed for Ramon, given that he probably has more money than I'm ever likely to have in my entire life. But um, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it all felt very vacuous to me. And like you say, nothing nothing to dislike particularly about Georgina, and 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 again, Georgina Trent saying, oh, she doesn't have photographers, she takes all her own photos. But like the amount of time that is spent. Mm you know, taking photos to put on Instagram. And I, I, I get that for people in her position, being an influencer is probably a job in that you get, it's an income stream, isn't it? So I can understand why, but yeah, I just found it, you know, it didn't make me angry. I was just unmoved by it really. And I, I, I you know, like you say, I, I didn't even find it an interesting insight because I didn't really care when it came down to it. I bear them no ill will, but I'm just, I'm just not interested really. I found it an amusing 40 minutes, but like you, um, I'm rather unlikely to watch the whole series. (laughs) Soy Georgina, or I Am Georgina, Mm. is available now on Netflix. Or indeed, I am Georgina, as the voiceover would have it. (laughs) In a a rather flat and Flat way, yes. Coming up next, nothing good ever comes from leaving the BBC. 
That's right after Mark Lanigan and Isabel Campbell. I can settle down and be doing just fine till I hear an old freight going down the line. Then I hurry straight home and pack. And if I didn't go, believe I'd blow. sorry to hear of the death of Mark Lanigan this week um that brilliant brilliant performer such an interesting man I really must read his books now which are by by all accounts excellent there was a very touching tribute to Mark Lanigan in the Guardian written by Isabel Campbell I thought that was beautifully written and and expressed and I had the pleasure of seeing Mark Lanigan and Isabel Campbell performing together I saw them at the Delaware Pavilion which I think I I think it might have been touring the second album I'm not sure but um they were an unlikely pairing, but they made they were obviously leading into the sort of the Lee Hazelwood and Ansel Sinatra thing. And it was 
it was lovely to see them together because she is, you know, so shy and he is so dry. And <laughs> between the two of them, they were they were quite a quite a pairing. And I love their version of that. I think it's mm. the Hank Williams tune. I think it works so well the way they do it as a duet. Um, I I could have picked a number of Mark Anderson tracks to remember him by, but the combination of the two of them I think were great. And I think it says a lot about Mark that he produced some great work with women. As a, as you know, he he mm. I could have picked a Hit the City, which he got PJ Harvey in on from his solo album Bubblegum to uh, to do. And that was again a wonderful interplay between the two of them. I'm sorry that we we won't have any more from Mark Anagan, but that was a, a fantastic record. It was him and Isabel Campbell from I think it was in Bad of the Broken Seas and their first record together, and that was rambling man it was such a couple uh, a couple of really sweet comments from isabel campbell in that piece mm-hmm. you mentioned that she wrote for the guardian this week she said you were my heathcliff it was like an open letter to yeah to, you were my heathcliff you were one of the funniest people i ever met and also one of the grumpiest <laughs> it, they did it they did a, a session for um uh, uh, Mark Radcliffe and McConey when they were on BBC Two, I think, and uh, Radio Two, and um, it was great. I remember texting one of the friends who I'd been to see them with. I think it was a night or two after we'd seen them, and the singing together was lovely. And uh, they were trying to sort of talk to the both, but quite early on in the in the conversation, Mark said, "I'm not feeling particularly chatty this evening." And my friend said, "I don't think I don't see why he needed to add this evening because I get the impression from feeling chatty a lot of the time." But Isabel Campbell was the sort of the um the 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 slightly cheerier of the two that and, and Mark was sort of this slightly sort of grey cloud in the background <laughs> during yeah, kind the of yin and yang really yes I, I they think. were but that's what made them work so well and and it was interesting what she said that obviously aspects of Mark's life had been quite troubled and she sort of the the the, the idea that you know, she would dread sort of hearing the phone call in in 2006 when he was very troubled. But the idea that he'd he contacted her on her birth on her birthday when he hadn't used it. And there are I saw a post by Nadine Shah as well, who shared messages that he used to sort of write to her and, and things. And I just think, you know, he was someone that was clearly very loved by by a number of people. And like I say, I'm, I'm sorry he's no longer with us. And my my thoughts with his family and friends. Now, it's arguable that it all started with Morecambe and Wise in 1978. Back then, Mm. if you left the BBC, there was only one other channel to go to, ITV. Mm. Um, And as with Morecambe and Wise, it quite often became a journey to regret, really. Mm. Since then, Desmond Lynham in 2001, Michael Parkinson in 2007. More recently, Robert Peston, Adrian Charles. Every one of those, at the very least, was a questionable career move. Mm-hmm. Now, why does this happen so often? The, the promise, of course, of more freedom and yes. usually more cash, the hullabaloo, uh, the promotional adverts, the upbeat interviews about how this is a new start, the excitement. And then a few years later, after dismal viewing figures, they come a knocking uh, at the door of the BBC, uh, aching to return. But now times perhaps have changed because... Um, well, um, I mean, Jules, this, this, we, we've got Andrew Marr at LBC now, Simon McCoy. These are all ex-BBC people. Simon McCoy at GB News. Mm. And this week, arguably the most surprising of all, Emily Maitlis mm-hmm. and John Sopel joining Andrew Marr at LBC, but also presenting a podcast for the global 
player app. And of course, you and I know the riches that can be accrued by hosting podcasts. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm doing this from a gold chair. In fact, I'm going off to Paris with Georgina later on to choose a T-shirt to have lunch in. But, you know, what, what's happening here? Is this is this something to do with Tim Davey, uh, a disillusionment generally at the BBC or concern at the direction of government policy towards the uh, corporation what what is it well something's up isn't it i think you you're right to identify that and what what seems to be the case is is when you you talked about stars leaving the bbc previously um morcom and wise Mm. parkinson line as you like to say that was all the world of light entertainment wasn't it now the Mm. people that seem to be pouring out of the bbc at the moment are news based aren't they they're news and current affairs based you you you, you've got laura coon i don't know if laura coon's is leaving the BBC or just not doing her role anymore but she's stepping down Andrew Marr has recently left to, to go off and do different things and actually is writing very interesting pieces in the New Statesman which I'm enjoying I must admit but um, they all sell the same story which is um, that they are increasingly bound feel increasingly bound and, and hemmed in by the BBC's impartiality rules which I was talking about this with someone yesterday and and eventually the BBC is going to have to work out if it's going to stick or twist because the, the direction of government policy, um, I mean, you and I, I think, will perhaps disagree what the government's end game is. We did talk about it a bit, I think, when we talked about Nadine Doris uh, uh, fairly recently. But to, to me, it feels like that they're sort of a bit damned if they do and damned if they don't, the BBC. So they're just going to have to pick a line and stick to it, I think, about to, to what extent their news, their news output is leading. And... Emily made this, I think. It, it is a surprise and it isn't that she's leaving. I'm very sad that she is. And I very much enjoy America cast that she, she and John Sopel do for, for the BBC. The, the, the news cast and all that sort of stuff are, are genuinely excellent things. Um, maybe the BBC are not, are not you know, are not putting enough. Um, and they've been caught on the ho- I always feel like they, they've been caught on the hop by podcasting and they're kind of rushing to sort of catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily Maitlis has, has, it would seem, been a very polite war with the BBC for some time anyway, being castigated for her, um, you know, her, her, her tweets and some of the, the lines she's taken on Newsnight. Having said that, her taking lines on Newsnight and actually grilling people properly have produced really good TV that has as everybody wants to do nowadays actually gone quite viral online and you know been clipped and, and shared mm. a lot I very much enjoyed this I enjoy anonymous quotes because even though you might be slightly unsure as to their their sort of provenance you often get people speaking frankly in a way that they wouldn't elsewhere um uh, someone said, in, an insider said, this completely stuffs Newsnight, which is left without an editor and only has one presenter in the form of Kirsty Wark. Um, the editor, who was Esme Wren, left to join Channel 4 News at the at the tail end of last year. And it seems to me like, I, I understand the BBC's impartiality policy and it is important. Having said that, it just seems to be losing everybody to everywhere else. And and I I don't know what the BBC's future is. And like you say, maybe that's the reason why people are sort of jumping off. But for people like Emily Maitlis, who really did seem like BBC people through and through, who've been there for sort of 18, 19 years, John Sapel as well, John Sopel as well, you know, you know, all these people, all these figures, I, could, I, I get that people get to a point in their life where they might want to do other things and, and, and be and be in a different way. But it, it does worry me that all of these sort of heavyweight people are are leaving to go elsewhere. There are some that I consider to be losses more than others. Um, Peston left a while ago, didn't he, to go and do his mm-hmm. thing on ITV. And I, 
I find him very lightweight. Um, I, I can't get over the fact that when he tweets things about government behaviour, everything's a surprise to him, isn't it? He just <laughs> seems he seems like some sort of Charles Dickens-esque sort of, you know, like David Copperfield or someone who just, you know, or Pip from Great Expectation, who is constantly surprised by life as some ingenue. And it's like, oh, Robert, you've been at this for like 30 years, really. Is, is uh, Have you not worked out how this is now? But I, I'm sorry to see Emily make this and, and go. And... Yeah, it worries me. And I think that if the BBC increasingly tries to please everyone, and by everyone I increasingly mean the government that that might not have pure motives towards it, it will end up pleasing nobody. And it does feel like it might be in a bit of a downward spiral. And it's and you know it's it's difficult to know if news people are leaving and people that, that have interesting thoughts on news. Are, that are able to look to use that horrible phrase behind the headlines. If these people are, are leaving because they don't feel they have the freedom to do that, who would go and work for the BBC News at the moment if all of these figures are leaving? It's like going to be signed mm. by a football team. Why would you go and play for you know a football team if they're selling all their best players? It's 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 difficult to know what's going on there at the moment. By the way, in a sort of allied oh, argument. Yes. Um, many push for the BBC to base various departments outside of London yes. to promote diversity and so on. Yeah, yeah. But this has led, uh, it's, it's more about people leaving, this has led to the recent yeah. uh, decisions of Rory Keflin-Jones. He's resigned from the BBC rather than moved to Glasgow with the technology department. Mm. And the long-serving... Um, science correspondent david shookman he's oh. leaving rather than move to cardiff with mm. the science team and so i don't think they're helping themselves at this at the moment because whilst the desire to diversify totally understandable not yeah. against it and it's laudable in a way yeah absolutely but if you've established a home and a lifestyle over many years and perhaps perhaps crucially with a partner perhaps with children happy at yeah. their school it is a big expectation to yes, anticipate your reporter will just move to wales or scotland or, or indeed vice versa to, to london of course so there's another sort of stream of people mm. leaving for a, a different reason i think the huge difference from Morecambe and Wise dashing off for the ITV dollars is that today there's an ever-growing outlet for talent to be wooed mm -hmm. towards. Yes, but absolutely. I've got a big but for this. Do people really talk as much today about Chris Evans as they used to when he was on BBC Radio? Yes, that's probably a fair point, I think. Chris Moyles? Yeah. I, I forget, he even, you know, I forget about him. He's yeah. on um, although, although X I think radio. A, yeah, radio although I think there's a bit of a story there in that I think that, that to some extent, less so with Chris Evans, maybe, perhaps particularly with Chris Moyles, but they're both scratchy personalities. Mm. And I think that Chris Moyles was not very nice to people on the way up. Mm. And now he's not on the up anymore. Mm. There isn't that gang around him anymore, is there? there? Maybe all of those friends turned out to be false or maybe he alienated people. I don't know. But with some of those cases, it does make you wonder that old adage, you know, be nice to people on the way up unless mm. you meet them on the way back down. So, so I think that might be going on slightly there. Sort of forget about people, you know. John Pienaar and Carol Walker are at talk radio. Uh, you know, bless them. Are. Yes, we forget. You know, and um, uh, you know, I, I I don't think people do talk as much about these people as they did when they're at the that's, BBC. That's Maybe all of these people are happier, maybe yes. richer, but I still stick by my belief: nothing good 
comes from leaving the BBC. And I think that is that is fair enough. I I, I think there I think we can rightly you know if, if you are a supporter of the BBC as I am, I think like, mm. I have concerns about everybody who's wanting to leave. Mm. Having said that though, I think you make a very good point that the grass isn't always necessarily that greener. Mm. It depends what you want. I mean, I'll always remember Simon McCoy as you know the man that used the ream of paper to impersonate an iPad. That is yeah. that he never recovered from that for me. And you mm. say, oh yeah, he's at GB News. We've, we've, we've talked about GB News before. Mm. Who is watching GB News? It doesn't. It's still there, but it doesn't seem to be to be any more. This seems any- a strange thing. Why would you go from say half a million viewers on the BBC News channel on a on a Monday afternoon to five thousand viewers yes, exactly. on GB News? It just I seems mean- such a strange thing to do. Well, unless you are, of course, a true believer in in its sort of editorial policy, mm. and that's what you want to go and do, which I understand. But you know, I. I'm not sure. You know, being a being a a Georgina style celebrity, Terence. Of course, I'm not sure an influencer. Exactly. If I was influencing people on the nation's broadcaster, I'm not sure I'd wish to be bookended by adverts for walking baths. If I was, if I was, you know, on, on another channel, it's, it's, you know, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And and maybe it will be interesting to see how it works out for for Emily Maitlis and Co. Um, and of course, it does make me laugh that um <laughs> that you know people, some people in the past have complained about I won't name names about you know being BBC and people have said all oh, the BBC is London centric. Anyway, listen to my new show on London broadcast. <laughs> really what is to be fair Emily made this hasn't said that but um you know I think I think she's a loss to the BBC and but having said that you know what you know will they find what they're looking for elsewhere it's quite possibly they won't I, 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 I do agree with you there coming right up Gary Brooker a whiter shade of pale and the CD revival oh. really Um, That's next after Treetop Flyers. Down upon the breeze, the bars came down to take me down the road. 
has the feel of standing on Lookout mm-hmm. Mountain in Laurel Canyon, um, but they're actually from London. Um, <laughs> uh, this is the first track from their debut album, The Mountain Moves, uh, from 2013, Treetop Flyers and Things Will Change. I really liked that. You, you make a good point there about the Laurel Canyon vibe. Mm. I was quite surprised that it was as young as it was, actually. I, 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 it sounded to me like it might date from from that sort of yes, that time exactly. I, I thought it was lovely very very much uh very much my sort of thing i think um the first time i saw procol harem perform a whiter shade of pale was when i was a young boy and they were on top of the pops mm. but the backdrop it was black and white backdrop was yeah. a bit, bit scary really a bit scary and matthew, matthew fisher the keyboard player wore this big floppy monk's outfit with a huge Owl, um enveloping his face with shadows and things i was rather terrified by this i have to say so i've carried a bit of a lifelong prejudice um but this week gary brooker died at the age of 76 and i listened to whiter shade of pale again and i've studiously avoided it for you know 50 yeah. odd years absolutely taken by his incredible soulful voice so i played a few more of their tracks this week and again was right on board on, on board with gary brooker's wonderful voice on a salty dog and conquistador mm-hmm. um jules this was all years decades in fact before your era how does gary brooker progal harem and a whiter shade of pale sit with you well i only know them for a whiter shade mm. of pale and and i it was a song that i was always familiar with when i was younger because it's one that my mum liked very much so it used to be played a lot in our house mm. and i think that well, we went through a phase when i was sort of nine or ten when i was there in the guitar where often i would play and my mum would sing she's got a great voice and we would often play things like that and i was fascinated by the words as a child and I was still am because they made no sense and were very surreal and you know sort of 30 years after we used to do that I still don't understand what it's about really I don't really know but like you say it it rewards listening again after you because I hadn't heard it for years because of course I used to hear it all the time when I was younger and it is a masterpiece, but I think that, that Procore Harm suffered like a lot of bands do in that one of their early singles was so, so good. I mean, a masterpiece, really. It was it was such a wonderful song. And they not under, you know, not, you know, understandably, not not unreasonably. It is very difficult to write a lot of songs that are that good. And it takes us back to the Beatles, I think, who were exceptional because they happened to write loads of songs that were really exceptional and they just kept banging them out, didn't they? Whereas mm. whereas bands like, you know, sort of slightly lower division bands, that sounds mean, I don't mean it to, but but they when you've got one song that so obviously dwarfs the rest of your output, as good as the rest of your output is, it's really hard, isn't it? If you strike gold and come up with an absolute mm. masterpiece, it is, you know, you, you almost kind of, you're hoist by your own petard, I think, really, and that you, unless you are exceptional, well, like Lennon McCartney were, it's really difficult to keep coming up with new things that are that strange. And it is so surreal. It's such a perfectly formed oddity that it is it's really it was really hard for them i think to come up with stuff that is, was that good and also you know the press uh, particularly in that age i think as well would lose interest if there weren't if they decided that you were a pop band you know you, the press would lose interest when you didn't have so many hits i'm not really sure why Procol Harum were considered to be a pop band because that is a beautiful song but it's really weird so mm. so it's it's strange isn't it but i was sad to hear of, of gary brooker's death um 
I have dug a little bit into Progahara and really, really like them. And their fans include people of taste and discernment. Like Martin Scorsese has spoken about Salty Dog mm. before and how much he likes it. And, and you know, maybe they're sort of, there are certain comedians that are always seen as comedians, comedians that don't have, you know, sort of necessarily widespread public um Know, sort of thing. Daniel Kitson is an example of that. If you ask any stand-up that was around in the 90s and the 2000s who their favourite stand-up is, they would always say Daniel Kitson. Daniel Kitson's never really done the TV circuit and is really known outside of comedy fans, really. People that just like to go and watch live stand-up comedy. And I feel Prokohama a little bit like that in that they've become known for a whiter shade of pale. And yet people that really like, you know, sort of 60s leaning towards prog sort of music... Mm really like them so so they they sort of accidentally become a cult band despite the fact that people only know them for one song is really strange yes indeed um so that was gary brooker who sadly died this week now we've discussed the rise in sales of vinyl records in recent oh, years and although i'm wholly digital at home playing <laughs> only from spotify and sometimes mp3s i do understand the appeal of vinyl and i particularly miss the tactile experience of holding the cover, uh, relating it to the record, maybe the lyrics are printed, or maybe we just become uh, as absorbed by the design of the cover and all the information printed on it. But now, I read in a report this week by CNN that compact disc sales increased in 2021, the first year that there wasn't a decline since 2004. But uh, I read that uh, a lot of the upturn is believed to derive from the sales of Adele's 30 album and its appeal to older people who have never switched from CDs to digital or streaming. Yeah. But tell me, Jules, are you as committed to compact discs as you are to vinyl? Well, this is a strange one, isn't it? So so I... I, I I still have my CDs and I, I always kept CDs, but I was conscious that I wasn't really adding to CDs. So I, as we discussed, ad infinitum before, got very into the vinyl revival because I never really stopped buying vinyl. It just wasn't there for me to buy anymore. And so I've, you know, embraced the vinyl re- revival. I very much enjoy buying records and listening to records and, and DJing with records and having that sort of thing. During lockdown, I was one of those people that was furloughed. So I found myself with a lot of time on my hands very suddenly. And so what I decided I would do, and I don't even know why I did this. I wasn't planning to get rid of them, but I decided I would just rip all of my CDs onto my laptop. It was just something to do, you know, just just mm. something to fill time with. And in doing so, I really got to enjoy listening to CDs again. And and I I now work part of the week from home and, and part partly um, in the office. And when I'm at home, the only um, music facilities I have to listen to um in so i work on a separate laptop to to my home laptop so it doesn't have any of my music collection on it i have a an old-fashioned it, it's that old but it's i have this stereo that i bought T- tesco used to their value range of products used to extend to whole lines across the store not just your tin of beans with uh with you know the the the, the blue and white stripes on it that i bought a tesco value cd hi-fi player and it would have been about 2010 uh, just before they stopped producing those sort of things. And that's what I have in my my sort of spare room sash office, from which I'm talking to you right now. And um, and I found myself listening to CDs whilst I work and also tapes on a Walkman. And I, I have come to really enjoy it. Also, a big part of, the, of my embracing of the CD revival is that um, 
Cherry Red Records, a label with which you might be familiar, um, have started producing really good quality multiple CD box sets, uh, f- focusing on different sort of strands of, of, of music in time. So they they did a, a five CD um, indie box set called Scared to Get Happy: The History of Indie Music, 1980 to 1990, and they and it's very focused around C86 and that sort of thing. And it was excellent. And they they started producing. I've got one that's about the, the city of Sheffield um, when my old colleague moved to Scotland they did one five CDs of Scottish indie music from that era um, and I've got one called Make More Noise which is alternative women from the 80s and the 90s and they're really well produced they come with brilliant liner notes and and they're, they're sort of five CDs for about 25 to 30 pounds and you get you know you get incredible amounts of music on them and they are much more cost effective than vinyl and I have issues with the way that the vinyl revival has gone that has been capitalized on by the majors how record Mm. store day which was originally something that was quite a good idea and revitalized independent shops has just become an arms race between the major labels that actually clogs up the pressing plants and runs counter to its original aim because it means that independent bands and labels can't get anything pressed for months on end because all of the plants are completely bunged up with you know 15 versions of the same vinyl mm. on you know same album on vinyl in different colors Jackie's Paul McCartney but you, you know all that all that sort of thing so it's interesting that all these different physical formats are being are being revived that the vinyl revival which I think you thought might go away originally seems to be mm. here to stay and it'd be mm. interesting to see if the CD takes this revival takes the same thing this this um i was reading this this article that you linked to about you know why people like to go back to cds and a lot of people say i like to listen to them in the car of course many modern cars don't have cd players i don't have a cd player no No. my mum's got a fiat 500 that does which i noticed because it was so unusual when i was i was in it at the weekend but and it makes me wonder maybe a sign of the true CD revival and how much it's re-expanded will be when cars start being made with CD players again. It's not very easy to make cars with vinyl mm. players, but, <laughs> um, you know, that's not a thing. Although having said that, a friend of mine who's got a classic car, um, once when I went round to see um, his daughter-in-law, was very keen that I'd go out and look at his classic car. And I said, but I've seen your car before. Said, no, 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 there's something I really want to show you. I think you'll really like it. So I, you know, certainly sceptically got in the car and he's got, and they're described as rocking horse dung by people, a, what appears to be a discman, but it's for seven inch singles. And they were, they're very, very rare now to get them mm. working. And he demonstrated to me in his car, oh, you know, it's great. And I can listen to records, except when you get to any sort of incline, in which case, unfortunately, <laughs> you can't because it freaks out. So so CDs may be a better, a better place to be introduced mm. back into cars again. I don't know. I mean, the thing, people seem to like having physical things again. And I don't know if it's the pandemic and the lockdown that, that's made us want things that are tangible and connections that are tangible rather than you know being constantly fed up in the online world and you know there are occasionally Spotify outages aren't there and and other things which people are very you know people got very het up about to which artists said you know this is what happens when you rent music rather than buy it so so I, I think it's interesting that people are drawn towards physical things again there are some young people that have been drawn towards the vinyl revival maybe like you say cds are more a nostalgia trip for older people i don't know It'd be interested to see if it catches on or not there are debates about whether or not cds are you know, audio, audiophilically good, good quality in the way that vinyl is. I don't know, but 
I certainly was interested in CDs again when I was locked down in my in my flat. And, you know, there if you can do things creatively like Cherry Red Records do, you can find a way of appealing to people. I've got a friend who's very into CDs again because they're relatively cheap. He's got really into it. And it's really interesting. He's sold a lot of his old vinyl because he was a big he's a big Ben and Sebastian fan. So he sold a lot of stuff that was worth quite a lot. And instead is now spending his time <laughs> buying not just CDs, but signed CDs from artists because he worked mm-hmm. out shrewdly, I think, quite early on that artists you know lots of artists he tends to buy directly from artists or, or their their sort of record labels they sell they they sell sort of sign things and that's a stream i think we've talked about previously that it's sort of a way that you can make a little bit more money out of people in a fairly low cost way if you're an artist if you can give up four hours to sit and sign a load of cds then mm. then you can make a bit more money but he's worked out that it's actually incredibly cost effective to buy a signed cd from someone he you know it, it doesn't cost much more if you pay a couple of quid more you can get it he's got an amazing collection of signed cds from artists and which he really likes and you know may, maybe that's the way forward i don't know but it's interesting mm. that people have um you know, he's tired of the vinyl revival and all of the record store day nonsense and that sort of thing. But there is there's a market out there for people that like CDs and and, you know, it, they're more cost effective than vinyl. And maybe now people have got to grips with wanting physical formats again. Maybe the CD will go on to be revived properly. It's interesting. Once again, for me, it's the practicality. Mm. I do still have my hundreds of CDs, but they're mm. in boxes in the loft. Yeah, I, I could just see. I could just click a couple of times this week to listen to Treetop Flyers or a Salty Dog or whatever. I didn't have to hunt out. With CDs, this is the thing I really dislike about them. You get a small, flimsy, plastically thin box affair, Mm. and then you cut your fingers getting the CD out. You put it into a player. (laughs) You have to press through buttons to find the track that I want, squinch yeah. a tiny writing on a tiny insert that you <laughs> then can't get back into the thin box thing. And I mean, then maybe the CD cover. Go to the opticians, Terence. Maybe, maybe this is maybe, yeah. more right side than it is. The, the, the other thing is the CD covers this thin box thing. It doesn't close properly. And a mm-hmm. bit of the hinge always breaks oh, off. Always snaps off, doesn't it? Yeah, that is that is true. But maybe you should investigate these box heads, Terence. I think they would be handling wise easier for you to use. It's um, it's maybe I'm going to push back on you a little bit and say, mm. and far be it from me to tell you how to live your life, Terence. This is not mm. my role. But um, there is something that I've enjoyed about vinyl, and I get it from CD a bit as well. Is that actually? I, I made a resolution at the start of this year that by I was you know I listen to to MP3s as well and often skip and listen to individual tracks and skip things through and I'm a great flicker through things mm. and I made a decision at the start of this year that I would try and listen to whole albums more often because I felt that I wasn't that my concentration was shot to pieces frankly and you know being on phones for two years hasn't helped and and you know I wanted to I wanted to try and find a way of spending that time and I find I find it quite grounding actually to try and choose a whole album to listen to from my CD, CD shelves and sort of pick through and think what would I like to listen to today and make a conscious decision I do this with records as well to choose something and to just listen to something from start to finish and the actual act of selecting something off a shelf and opening it and looking at the sleeve 
I find that quite a quite a grounding thing. So I wonder if you ought to try that, Satie, and see and see if you can look beyond cutting your fingers on things and not being able to see things. And maybe you know, I sound like some terrible yoga yoga guru now, don't <laughs> I? You know, maybe you should practice mindfulness by listening to Joni Mitchell. I don't know, but but maybe there is maybe there's something in that. Maybe if you tried it, maybe 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 that would ground you as well. I'm not sure, but I, but is that certainly something that I've enjoyed doing this year? I, I think my wariness of that comes from the immediate pre-Napster years where so many of us got our fingers burnt so mm. many times by hearing a track on the radio, which is where largely you heard music yes. back then in the uh, pre-2000. Yeah. And you'd hear a track on the radio and you'd think, oh, that's fantastic. I really like that. And you go to the record shop and you think, well, I'll get the album. That's so mm. good. And the number of times one did that and came home, played the album and found that the only track that you would yes, ever possibly listen true. to was that one. That is, a, that is a risk that you take, I suppose. But having said that, CDs now are priced... I mean, they they got to a point where they were ridiculously overpriced. My copy of Rid of Me by PJ Harvey that I bought when I was a, a student. So this was, this was let's not forget, about 12 or 13 years after it had originally come out. I bought this mm. on CD from probably a Virgin Megastore in Norwich. I think that's what, what the big store was at the time. Mm. And it, I've still got the 1599 sticker on Oof. it. That was for a CD that was 13 years old. And she just Oof. released a new album when I bought it. So you'd think they would have dropped the price. Mm. Now you can pick up CDs, you know, again, largely through perhaps through artists themselves. Mm. But, you know, they're sort of 799 899 Maybe, you know, now that's how they should be priced. Because, it, like you say, it is a bit of an investment if you're taking a risk on an album. And maybe, you know, maybe it's just things need to be priced more sensibly. And I think that new vinyl will eventually find itself falling into the same trap because, you know, it's it's madly expensive. I don't want to pay £29 for an album that I don't, you know, that I don't necessarily know, which is sort of where a lot of... Is that the going rate for vinyl albums now? Well, it depends really what you're, what you're, what you're buying. I mean, some are, some are less than that, some are more than that. It it depends. But, or, or, you know, you, you... if you're buying a new album on vinyl, you're likely to pay at least twenty pounds, I would say roughly, and and it's it's a big risk to take. So maybe the CD revival might might increase mm. because it will come in on the coattails of the vinyl revival, which will price itself out, and CDs are more affordable. Could be. I think the CD revival, just for the moment though, is going to continue without me. Well, I'm sorry. It will. It will. I'm struggle sorry, CDs. Yes, yeah, mm. so it will be a struggle, but they will do mm. their best. Thank you so much for listening this week. Lovely yes, to have you there. Uh, as ever, I echo the sentiments of my excellent co-host. Will you be changing the name of your radio show to I Am Juliet? <laughs> I mean, not even I am that crass, Terence, despite despite multiple evidence to the contrary. No, I am not. I mean, I am Juliet, but it's less about me and more about my virtual yacht. So, yes, Smooth Sailing continues at 7 to 9 p.m. Sunday evenings. I go live on Mixler. Um, search Mixler.com and search my name. And there's a on my page, there is a... Um, show real button where you can catch up with smooth side with voyages passim um and it's just it's just fairly easy going music um for a sunday evening and a bit of cheery chatter and just a nice way to end the week and reset for the next one which i will miss live this week because i'm off to wembley oh, indeed well i hope you score lots of goals terence you. <laughs> you have a great time an unlikely smith's cover to play us out 
Well, yes, and like many people, I was very troubled by the events in the in the Ukraine this week, which is just. I don't think I can say anything to really add any more insight. Just that I'm, I'm, you know, very, very sad about it all, and it's, it's, it's just a terrible thing. And it, and I, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and I was reminded of an excellent band that I've always very much enjoyed called the Ukrainians, who do their sort of gimmick is that they do covers of you know Western rock music in in Ukrainian and bring their own slant to it. And I was listening to, fun enough, a record that I bought on Record Store Day a few years ago, where you could still buy things that were interesting and still still have interesting things to release called a short history of rock music in ukrainian um and it's great that the cover is done like a short history of tractors in ukrainian the book with a similar sort of font and and like you know sort of logos and pictures and things and it's got some excellent songs on it there i would particularly recommend their version of um california dreaming which interpolates <laughs> she's lost control by your joy division as well it works really well it's really bizarre and it works but i i first this was the first song i heard by them some years ago i think they might have been peel favorites or something there was certainly a, a bit of a bit of a sort of a buzz around them in the in alternative circles and i absolutely love this i think that they really bring their own sound to this song and and really capture something in it so in solidarity with our Ukrainian friends this week. Uh, this is Batya, aka Big Mouth Strikes Again by the Ukrainians.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production.